and I need to stare into the eyes of the demon Kai Havertz and oh my god (laughs) the way his body moved it was like legit possession like I I don't don't like it it was any part of it What's up, everyone? It's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, we're we're back after a little layoff. Yes, yes, we are back. I think it was like, what, two weeks? We've been yeah. doing like two-week intervals. We're, we're dra- we were dragging towards the end of the season, guys, but uh, <laughs> the end of the season is finally here, or at least the domestic season yeah. uh, in Europe, so we're back. Yeah, the season, season one finale essentially of hardcore football if for all intents and purposes yeah yeah episode 32 i think we've been pretty prolific for a first season i feel not bad yeah i mean obviously there's a there's always a a question mark around a a player who's you know getting into the into the first team break (laughs) trying to break through 32 appearances is is good i mean that's a that's a full season Solid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't miss out through injury, luckily, but just uh, mainly, mainly fatigue. Uh, fatigue and life stuff. Y'all know. Yeah. Yeah. You it's guys. Warmer outside. So we're, you know, able to do more recreational stuff and all that. And our, and our local club is now in, in play. So yep. we've been doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, um, locos. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to talk about the thing, the two things that we were building to most, I think. And I wanted to just give a quick shout um, there. You know, it's past relevance now, and we will chat a little bit about um, about Lille going forward. But Lille yeah. and Atleti get to the finish line and see out their titles. I mean, these were two of the, the races that were the most watched, certainly, and like the most interesting in the run in. And and yeah. they did not disappoint. No, not at all. Lille, uh, Lille were, uh, they came out against Angers on the road, like with a mission. You could tell that they were definitely winning the title that day, finally, because they, yeah. they laid a goose egg the week before against Saint Etienne when they could have clinched it then. But it was very professional from them, uh, against Angers. Uh, Atleti, on the other hand, like it was interesting <laughs> away to Real Valladolid, <laughs> who are unfortunately have been relegated, but. They concede first, yep, uh, and then have to battle back to win two nil the same way they did with Osasuna at home. So uh, a little more dramatic uh, for Atletico. Um, I think Real Madrid did lead the table at one point that day, but uh, yeah, um, ultimately Atletico come out on top and just absolute scenes uh, in in Valladolid, and a bunch of Atleti fans made the trip up uh, and were waiting out in the parking lot, which. You know, you've seen these kind of scenes, this is kind of like going on a tangent, but like you've seen these scenes around Europe of fans gathering to like celebrate outside. And it's like, if y'all are going to be in close quarters out there, like you might as well be let into the ground, you know, <laughs> like that's just my, yeah, my take on it. But uh, yeah. And then the players ended up actually like celebrating with the fans, like among them, which I don't know how smart that is given COVID and all that, but um, and the Euros I mean, about to start. And the Euros and, and Copa America and fucking everything. Gold yeah. Cup. I don't, I don't even know what else is going on this summer. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they both got over the line and just a nice change of pace for football. Uh, seeing these 
you know, typical winners dethroned in in the oddest season of all time, possibly. So. <laughs> For those who have listened to the show, um, you know, you know where to find us, certainly. Uh, but for those catching up, Leal was probably like if we had to pick a club that we had stand the hardest uh, <laughs> over the course of this season, I think Leal was probably it and, and Le dogs getting the job done to win the Liga Un title. And I mean, in the process, leaving PSG with just a French cup, um, an extremely lean year by their standards. Um, so Pochettino, and maybe this will play into some of what we talk about later. Um, but yeah, massive, massive season. And, and if you have followed along with us, then certainly you've seen our uh, our love for Christophe Gaultier and and this Lille side, um, which uh, somehow forged together a new generation with one of the oldest strikers uh, in <laughs> playing in the top five leagues. Uh, and it was just a, a match made in heaven. So, um, but yeah, you guys know where to find us. Uh, if you don't, uh, we're on all the major podcast platforms and we're at HXC football on Twitter. So check us out um, and uh, you can catch up with all of this stuff as we talk about it. But Mika, we've got breaking news to deal with. There is a big announcement coming out of South America, the Copa America for 2020, which was originally scheduled to be played in Colombia, was then moved to Argentina due to the unrest and COVID situation in Colombia, uh, and now has been moved again um, due to the COVID situation in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you said Colombia, like I almost forgot that that was indeed the case. <laughs> that it was first in <laughs> Colombia and then Argentina. Yeah, but now it looks like Brazil, with 13 days until the first match of the tournament, will be hosting Copa America again. Um, and yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they can get that together logistically speaking. And I mean, luckily Brazil has a pretty decent football structure or infrastructure, but still with that short amount of time, it's, it's challenging for even the best, uh, logistics people on earth. Um, so that'll be interesting, but I mean, it, the reason that it was moved from Argentina is because of the COVID-19 situation there, as you said, which just doesn't make any sense when you see, Brazil's numbers. I mean, it's like twice as bad there. So right. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand that. I think if if we were just making the the decision based on COVID, probably somewhere like Chile should be uh, hosting. Um, sure, Chile or I don't know Ecuador, maybe I don't know. Uh, I've even seen some shouts for the United States because <laughs> yeah. we're just always <laughs> able to host a, a, a big thing like that, and vaccines are rolling out quicker than they are in, in other parts of the world, thankfully. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's an astounding piece of news that we woke up to this morning, but, uh, I, I had put out a tweet, like just cancel it. Like, yeah. cause for me, Copa America is played way too often. Um, not to say that I don't enjoy it and I will watch it. Of course I will. Certainly. Um, but, uh, it, it is losing for me a little bit of its luster because it's played so much. Well, and I mean, if, if I'm thinking about it correctly, it was just, it was 2018 was the last edition summer yeah. of eight summer of 19. Well, yeah. Cause they had like a regularly scheduled one and then they had the centenario. So it was like right, right after right. it. And then now again, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. Summer of 19 they played cause it was uh, at the same time as the women's world cup. Um, right in 2019 and it's like 
now we're playing a 2020 edition in 2021. Right. Like, Time just catch me, catch me in a couple of years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, make it every four years. Like, yeah. I, I understand we want Messi to win it, but no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's a bit for me. It's just too too often. It's losing something by well, being every year. It seems. Well, and you mentioned like this is going to be tough for even like some of the best logistics planners like to pull off. And Con Mabel is just famously known for their strong organizational skills. Yeah, they <laughs> never do anything like corrupt or like insane to get things off. Uh, they don't. <laughs> no, like we're expecting Commonwealth to do the right thing in this situation is just not going to happen clearly. So no. uh yeah. This is going to be this is going to be wild. Um it, a tournament that started out yeah as and even I I had forgotten it, it was actually a co-hosting between Argentina and Colombia. Um right. which Colombia had to drop out of that arrangement originally just due to the unrest primarily in in Colombia and then Argentina lost their co-hosting privileges or their hosting privileges as well so anyways we'll see what what Comable makes of this and what it ends up being obviously the leftover infrastructure from the 2014 World Cup I'm sure will come in handy um but uh yeah it I don't know. I think in terms of mess, this is this is going to be up there this summer uh, in, ter- in terms of how it's organized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be fascinating. Well, two massive continental finals were played this past week, and we'd be remiss to start basically anywhere else but in Portugal with the Champions League final taking place. Chelsea... The winners, 1-0 over Man- Manchester City. Pep Guardiola denied a Champions League final with a team other than Barcelona yet again. Um, and uh, Chelsea joined Liverpool and Manchester United as the third English side to win the Champions League on two occasions. Um, so, Mika, I mean, starting broadly, Chelsea, the 1-0 win... What what was your takeaway from from this game that that was marked by the single Kai Havertz goal? Yeah, I think um I mean first of all congratulations to Chelsea obviously it's given where they kind of started in their cycle with Frank Lampard and having to bring kids through and uh you know being transfer ban and then of course spending big and having to sack Lampard and and you know winning the Champions League within a couple months of Tuchel taking over it's pretty incredible even for a club like Chelsea with their resources so still have to give them props for that but um I did have City winning this one I thought 2-1 City um I made that prediction just based on football I didn't make it yep. based on any uh you know like past experience in this competition or or any perceived like mental edge but maybe that was a bit foolish of me because as I think about it Chelsea really didn't have any pressure on them in this one uh relative to to City I don't think uh I don't think anyone would have you know been extremely angry if Chelsea had lost this I think it's quite the opposite actually I think City definitely were expected to win it and had all the pressure on them so I guess in the end, I'm not too, too surprised that, that Chelsea were able to take advantage of that and just play their game and nullify cities and, and beat them. The big discussion right from the get-go, an hour before kickoff, the lineups drop, and yeah. Pep 
makes the decision to play without a recognized striker as he has from, for a lot of this season, um, but opts to play without a recognized striker plays, plays with a, a false nine. Um, Phil Foden looked like he was the one dangled in that position, but Kevin De Bruyne maybe in practice was playing in that position. Um, anyways, what did you make of, of Pep going strikerless? And, uh, do you think that, that is, I mean, a lot of people have really hung their hat on that as the reason that city didn't get the job done. What did you make of peps of peps lineup decisions? Well, the, the striker list thing, the false nine thing wasn't too shocking to me because they have been getting results and scoring plenty of goals without a recognized striker in, in their lineup on, on previous occasions. What really irked me and not irked because I, I guess I didn't really have a dog in the fight but what was really just kind of like wow he's doing it again he's a quote overthinking or whatever was Ilkay Gundogan in the sixth position um yeah that I, I had no problem with Gundogan starting to be clear because I think that he's been excellent this season scored a lot of goals if he's in and around the penalty area you're getting a chance um but he plays him as the deepest midfielder. And and without wanting to be too revisionist, he has played Gundogan there before mm-hmm. um, in his time at City. So that's not the problem for me. The problem for me is the occasion. Like, I really think that he could have benefited from a Fernandinho in that position, for example, with his experience, his leadership, his ability to stop counterattacks without getting cards. Gundogan gets carded early in this one, and yeah. he kind of, you know, is... Just not that player, not that same player that Fernandinho is and who who can, you know, tactically foul, as they like to call it uh, in Manchester, in that side of Manchester. <laughs> so that part of, of the lineup decision was wrong for me, honestly. I think sure. Fernandinho or even Rodri probably should have started this one to give that midfield a bit more balance and allow those eights to go forward. Because once Fernandinho comes on, which he does eventually come on, and you see Gundogan kind of freer, Yep. And they looked more like dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh so uh, it felt to me like an admission that Pep had gotten it wrong and so that for me was the the odd thing. I I mean you could make something about Zinchenko and and Sterling starting. Sterling's been kind of shocking this season or at yeah. least the second half of the season um with his finishing. Zinchenko like I I didn't have a huge problem with it um because he is very good on the ball but I don't know. He's. I don't know that his future is at left back. I think maybe Joao Cancelo could have done a job there, uh, a better job there, or just with the athleticism. I think that was a, the other thing about this game. Very much an athletic game. Chelsea are yeah. a side that'll absolutely run you ragged and and make you tired from the way that they defend. Uh, so yeah, what'd you make of the lineup though? I I thought along the same lines. I think um, I think. Gundogan's biggest, you know, value that he's added this season has been in joining in the attack. I mean, he's scored like the most goals that he has since in a season since he joined City. Um, it felt very much like Gundogan of of you know the those really great young Borussia Dortmund teams um, and utilizing him in the six just felt like, I mean, honestly, it felt like he was trying to find a way to get all five of 
Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, and Phil Foden all on the pitch at once. Mm, yeah. And in doing so, he sacrificed like the midfielder who's actually added the most value from what he was trying to get Bernardo to do. Um, yeah. And so anyways, I think, yeah, I think if he starts this game with a, a midfield three of Foden, Gundogan and Fernandinho, that's a very different, it's a very different look uh, and a very different, a very different game in the way it plays out and the way they match up too with Jorginho and N'Golo Conte on the other side, like in that midfield, um, it's going to be hard to win that battle when those two are just focused on stopping you. Um, it's going to be tough to win that uh, when, when you don't have someone stopping them from breaking. And that's why at the end of the day, like Conte was freer to do what he, to do what he does. And um, that's why he, ran off with the plaudits and unfortunately <laughs> city are back to the drawing board um, after their, their first final under pep. Yeah. I think that's, that's fair to say it would have definitely been a different proposition if that lineup had been something like Gundogan, Fernandinho, Foden, I guess, or Silva, I guess, Bernardo Silva. Um, speaking of Chelsea though. Yeah. I mean, I guess what did we make of two clothes? Is this a master class or is this uh pep throwing it away or some somewhere in between? I mean, I, we don't have to be too extreme with it. I think people sure. are trying to find the the extreme takes, but maybe there is some nuance to this one or maybe not. <laughs> I think I think Thomas Tuchel at the end of the day like he wins, so he gets it right. Um I stopped short of calling it a master class not because not because of anything against Thomas Tuchel, but we've seen this pep city side, like picked apart more comprehensively than, than Chelsea did. Like Chelsea got it right in the moment and they were matched up correctly, like for their personnel, I think. Um, but we've seen pep like more comprehensively beaten, um, in terms, you know, in terms of his, his approach, um, you know, I don't want to name names, but Klopp has gotten it right. Like more, so, but, but I just say, I just say that to, you know, to point out that, you know, cities still at the end of the day, it's not as if Chelsea ran away with it and, and, you know, played them off the park. Like city were very much in this game up until the final whistle. Um, They just, they just didn't, I don't think Pep made like good decisions to put the team in the best position to win. Um, but Tuchel, I think, just seized on the fact that um, I think he kind of knew where Pep's head was at um, and where he might go. And clearly he, he yeah, set the team out. Him. to Yeah, twice before. Yeah. 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 I, I think he I don't know. I think I, he knew what he wanted to do. And, and I think his selection is extremely meticulous in how he wanted to set out and how he wanted to attack. Um, and it was driven by like a base of seven, essentially defending. Um, and those three up top being able to break and, and it worked. Um, Timo Werner let off the hook by his, by his German compatriot. Uh, cause if that, if that <laughs> miss, um, 
the whiff, if you will, if that made it into, uh, if that ended up having any sort of like tangible impact on the result, I'm, I, he'd never recover probably, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, two whiffs. he had like two early chances. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. but I do think Tuchel gets it right. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a masterclass, but I, but I think he gets it right. And I think he also benefited from those two wins over city to get pep like in his head about this matchup. Yeah, definitely. And what I will say though about Chelsea, and I, I think this has to be a credit to Tuchel. I don't know why else, why else this would be the case, but I really feel like every Chelsea player on the pitch had a good game. Yeah. Um, there was no one that was like noticeably the weak link. It was very much, it was comprehensive. I mean, even Reese James, I thought, Ooh, he's going to get skinned alive by Foden and Sterling down that, that side. And he, you know, they tested him early, but after that, like he really did not put a foot wrong. I mean, Aspilicueta, like, you know what you're going to get from him. Tony Rudiger was really good. I mean, maybe we'll get into the thing with Kevin De Bruyne, but uh, Tiago Silva, he goes off, but it feels like that just galvanized the side even more um, to win for him, uh, having gone out injured. N'Golo Kante, obviously, world-class performance. I I think a lot is, I mean, people are talking like Ballon d'Or and stuff now, and it's just kind of like, it's a little lazy for me, but he is probably the best midfielder in his you know, type of midfielder out there, uh, N'Golo Kante is. So um, Mason Mount, obviously fantastic as always like just works so hard for the side and um a player that I think I was wrong about like I I think I discredited him a little because it's like oh like your Lampard's favorite like what does that mean I I don't know but I mean he's clearly I think he could possibly become the next Chelsea legend uh if he stays at the club he's been at the club since he was young so yeah. Um and Timo Werner despite his his <laughs> whiffs, I think he's crucial to the goal cuz he makes mm-hmm. this run that really I think it's Ruben Diaz has to like go with him and it makes the the space even wider for Kai Havertz and obviously Kai has incredible composure to to kind of skip over Ederson and and slot it into an empty net. So that I don't think that play happens without Timo Werner kind of pulling the line apart. Um and and he does that, you know, consistently. Uh, even though he's not been scoring scoring a whole lot of goals, his sure. spe- his speed and his his movement has always kind of been a problem for folks. So yeah, um, but yeah, I think you're right. If if that had been the only chance and it went the other way, that would have been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah that, that's what struck me. It's just everyone I think for Chelsea had a good game. Yeah, and I think this certainly you can't you cannot say the same um, for City, which is just. That's no. the reality. The interesting thing is obviously these two teams came into the game with very different ambitions, um, but they also now are left with very different situations. Mm. Chelsea, you know, the the freer team in that they weren't expected to win, um, but they come away with, with old big ears. And now <laughs> where does this Chelsea team go what's the what you know now that they've won the champions league what's next for this chelsea side yeah i think it'll be fascinating to see what tom stuko can do with a full preseason with these guys um and i I don't know i think i think in some ways they're still 
it sounds ridiculous because they just won the European Cup, but I think they're still like transitioning to like the final finish thing that can go and take on all, you know, fight on all fronts and win everything. Sure. Um, but this season, I, I don't see any reason why they can't go and challenge for the league. Yeah. I don't see any reason why they can't challenge for the Champions League again. I mean, it's statistically, it's extremely difficult to repeat. Sure. Um, you know, Real Madrid, I think, kind of skewed what people think is possible in that regard <laughs> um, with the Ronaldo years. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's just going to be really interesting to see what they do, what t- Thomas Tuchel is able to do with the full preseason. If, and if they want to add to this squad, because I still sure. feel like it's, there's already a ton of pieces there and, and they just need to make that work even better. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I think I think they're, the pressure will certainly be on them, and that that's how it is at Chelsea. I mean, for all their, I guess, perceived faults of how they run the club, there is certainly no question that there's a winning culture at Chelsea, and clearly, <laughs> clearly that 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 bore fruit this season, even despite all the relative upheaval in West London. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a strange one. It kind of reminds me. I guess you know, there's really two ways that this can go for this Chelsea this Chelsea team. I think they're probably more prone to one than the other. But um, you know, the Liverpool team that went to a final and lost to Real Madrid, like had a similarly inconsistent league campaign when they went to that final and they barely, you know, they barely made fourth like that season. Um, This Chelsea side, obviously winning the champions league, but the other team that I guess comes to mind is the Spurs team that lost to Liverpool in in the final. It's like, now you have this opportunity to either go on and compete for the league and be like a, a genuine contender in the premier league or go the opposite way and let, this success, like kind of get, um, I don't know, be like the only thing that this squad achieves. Um, and mm-hmm. I think for Tuchel, obviously the goal is going to be to move on and compete. So do you think Chelsea have thrown a couple of names around, um, already this summer? Do you think that it is another season of big investment from Abramovich or do you think he tells Tuchel like, basically got what you need now you just need to turn it into a winner yeah it's an interesting one I I don't know why I feel like Chelsea will go into the market for a striker uh I I just feel like the the noise if you will that sounds really disrespectful and I don't mean it to be but the talk (laughs) around Timo Werner is uh, probably a little too much I think they want a bona fide number nine because there's I just need to like rant quickly. There's like this fallacy about Timo Werner that he's like this elite finisher who's just not coming off. He was never an elite finisher in the Bundesliga. Having a lot of goals does not mean you're a natural finisher. And he, he wasn't like statistically yeah. you could see that. And you could see that in RB Leipzig's performances, a lot of the, and and that's not to discredit him. That's just to say he's not that kind of player. And so I actually, I feel bad for him because there's this expectation on him. That's not real. Right. Um. I don't, think he's a natural like elite goal scorer i think his movement is certainly elite and and that doesn't mean he won't get bags of goals i just don't think that's him at least not yet yeah uh so they might want to invest in that area um and with olivier Giroud leaving maybe even more so sure. uh, well potentially leaving i don't know um 
So, I mean, Roman likes to spend. Marina likes to spend. I don't see why they wouldn't go back into the market. And uh, Thomas Sugo would be within his rights, I think, to demand it because um, he's he's given he's shown the goods. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though, that you bring up Spurs. I, I think that that's much less likely to happen at Chelsea just because they're kind of at the beginning of yeah. of their cycle as opposed to where Mauricio Pochettino was with Spurs at that time. And they didn't invest in the squad for yeah. him. And I thought that was a big mistake. And uh, obviously we saw that it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. That this This Champions League is almost like early in their cycle <laughs> right no <laughs> that's I mean, what start I start as you mean to go on i suppose i don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah I, I almost bring it up as you know that liverpool team because this chelsea team has the hallmarks of of that team where it was inconsistent but it was brilliant when it worked um hmm. but that team you know obviously lost in the final this chelsea team won in the final so you know there is there is room there to to maybe um now they can kind of get ahead of their ambitions. And I think the goal for this Chelsea team though, has to be competing for the league. Like that's, they should be certainly up and around like the, you know, and we could be looking at just like an unprecedented, like four or five horse, like title race next season, the way that these teams are set up. I would hope so. Cause there really hasn't been like an open title race and, a number of years really yeah it's been like two between two you know liverpool between and city two. yeah uh recently and then i mean yeah it's been mostly settled like pretty early there the you right. know the last exciting one was lester pain so much pain yeah <laughs> for that arsenal yeah. fans know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, so the the next question is what what does it mean for for Pep and and City? Pep again denied um, ever since he he won that Champions League with Barcelona in in 2011. Um, he hasn't been able to replicate it anywhere um, between Bayern and City, and uh, yeah, left holding the bag once again. <laughs> oh boy, um, I mean, well. Pep made it very clear even before the final that he he intends to stay and 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 continue with City and they already have made plans to invest and and turn over the squad. Um, I think they'll be back. I do think that they'll be fighting for this title again. I, I we said this last year. I think Phil or I don't know if we had recorded about it or if we had just spoken about it uh, privately. But I I, I kind of give I kind of think of them the way I think of PSG now, where it's like you've made it to that final. And now you've got that experience and now you've been there and you know how to deal with that for the future. And I think we saw that with PSG having made it to the semifinal again. Yeah. So, you know, they don't make it all the way, but I still think it was valuable for them to make it to that final. And, you know, I think Bayern fairly won that one. And with City, sure. this one's a little bit different because arguably City should have wiped the floor with Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but but I think the, the experience is still valuable to have made it to that point with these players. Um, you know, assuming they keep that core around because it is one of those things. I think that your the experience does come into it a lot. Um, yeah. in these knockout competitions where it's kind of like you know it is one offs. Um, and and to have people who've been there done that, I think is valuable. Um, 
I mean, I say that knowing that a bunch of these like children at Chelsea just won it, but <laughs> there are some old heads there, you know, the yeah. Thiago Silva's and the like that that could guide those those youngsters. And, and Tuchel, having been to the final the previous year, right? I think that counts for something. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a massive disappointment. There's no getting around that for City. I think this is sounds on <laughs> this is what they wanted to win and they didn't do it. And um, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty shocking. And I think that a lot of the reason why they lost is their own fault. And I think that's even harder to take. I think if you're probably, if you're a city fan, probably. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know the, the pep over thinking thing. I, I, I can understand why people get annoyed with that narrative, but it is a narrative for a reason. And there was just some decisions on the day that I thought were really strange and they didn't work. And now city linked with Sergio Ramos yeah, I saw that earlier today, and it's like, why? Like, how does he? I Eric Laporte can't even get into this side, and Eric Garcia is leaving. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, what Ramos is gonna? He's not fit. Like, he's not fit at all. Like, I don't know. I don't. If City do that one, that'll be absolutely bizarre. It does. It does mean that the seeding pots for the group stage are starting to come into into to play for next season. Mm. Um, and as it stands, pot one, Chelsea via Real by virtue of winning the Europa league, which we'll get onto here in a second at mm-hmm. man city, inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Lille and sporting, uh, club de Portugal. Yeah, that's pot one pot two as it stands. And this is barring any further action by UEFA against the super league hangers on who are all Uh in pot two, but Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juve, Juve, PSG, Manchester United, Liverpool, Sevilla, and Borussia Dortmund. That's pot two. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) Pot three as it stands is Porto, Ajax, Shakhtar, Leipzig, Salzburg, Benfica, Atalanta, and Zenit. Mm. But a couple of those teams have to make it through qualifying um, as it stands. And then AC Milan, Club Brugge, and and Wolfsburg are all in, but they'll be in pot four. Uh Uh-huh. So, which is still, that's mostly made up of the qualifying teams. So, um, so anyways, stacked competition. (laughs) Yes. Why would anyone want to get rid of this? Fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I mean. Reform, yes, but get rid, no. So. um, Speaking of, before we get off that. Yeah. Did you hear about them scrapping the away goals rule? No. Yeah, I think that it's going to go to committee and they're going to vote on that. Wow. I hope it's not permanent. I hope it's like a trial year and then we'll see how it goes. I mean, I don't, t- I don't like particularly care for the away goals rule, but I see right. the, I see the merit of it. I don't well, know. it's like we kept it through the pandemic when there were no fans. True, like, and we're going to scrap really it. The it was stupid. We're going to yeah. scrap it. Like if they had scrapped it last season, I don't think anyone would have batted an eye. Instead, it it's sense. like, oh, you're going to get rid of it just as soon as away games will actually mean something again. Like, yeah, that's true. I didn't <laughs> even think of that. You're right. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Well, we spoke about Villarreal being in pot one of the Champions mm-hmm. League, which by no means a foregone conclusion. In fact, Villarreal's 
participation in the Champions League next season was in the balance until the 21st penalty of the night. Um, <laughs> so, or 22nd, actually. Um, so the Europa League final, Villarreal won, Manchester United won, and Villarreal wins 11 to 10 on penalties. As fine of a margin as a final can possibly reach, essentially. Um but Villarreal able to get the job done off the back of a Gerard Moreno goal, um, which uh, was was canceled out. Um, it was a similar kind of free kick situation at it's Cavani gets a yeah on. Cavani, of course, mm-hmm. uh, for this for this United team. Uh, yeah, canceled it out. But then in extra time penalties, it goes through and Geronimo Rulli scores the the winning penalty and then saves De Gea's. Um, to send Villarreal into the Champions League and and claim their first major European trophy in the club's history, and the smallest town um, in Europe to ever have their club claim a, a major European trophy. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure people have seen it by now. This the uh, town of only fifty thousand people and all that going, you know, making the round. So I, I won't belabor that point, but I still want it highlight how big of an achievement this is for Villarreal, a club that before the investment of, you know, I have to say billionaire Fernando Roiga, you know, Spanish businessman, he owns like grocery chains or something. Yeah. Um, Before, you know, his significant investment in the club, they were a a lower division team. Um, Definitely not like a La Liga mainstay by any means (laughs) like they are now. So, yeah, I mean, incredible, incredible for the club, incredible for the city. Um, some of the scenes from the celebrations were like some of the best I've seen, especially in the in those yellow kits. Like it just really pops and is memorable. Um, but shout out Unai Emery too. Um, I think Arsenal fans were a little like, I don't know what the word is, <laughs> like just didn't annoyed? know how to feel <laughs> annoyed maybe yeah but i wasn't truly like i, I wasn't yeah. i was happy for him because this is his competition and he wins his fourth one which is such a unique accomplishment yeah like how can you be so good at this competition i don't understand like yeah. the, the unai emery league i guess i don't know <laughs> um so yeah congratulations to Villarreal. very much deserved and and on a knife's edge honestly i mean yeah United could have just as easily won it, but uh, just more romantic, I think, that Villarreal did. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the way the match played out, obviously, you know, United enjoyed a bulk of the possession. Villarreal not having a ton of the ball, but creating an equivalent amount of of shots uh, or, you know, close to. And in the end, United only has, I think a lot of people, pointed to the fact that Villarreal only had the one shot on target of the night, which was the goal, but United only had two shots on target. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like United, you know, absolutely like bombarded really mm-hmm. in, in the Villarreal goal. And he, you know, uh, made a bunch of saves and, and, you know, stood on his head to keep Villarreal in it. Like Villarreal actually did a decent job of limiting what United was, was trying to do on the night. And, and in the end, they were always going to come in with a, a squad as strong as United's. Villarreal were always going to come in and, and take up that that more defensive and counterattacking role, looking for those set pieces to to find their breakthrough. 
Um, and it almost, it almost worked a treat, you know, in the, in the, um, you know, in the regulation 90 minutes, but, um, it ended up going to what has to be said. One of the best penalty shootouts I've, I've watched. Um, although maybe a few of the penalty takers let off the hook a little bit by some, some suspect goalkeeping. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, David De Gea, man, lots been made of the fact that he did not seemed to get a hand to like any of them. Rui got very close to some of them. And he should have saved two. He should. Yeah. Yeah. He should have saved. He should have saved uh, Bruno Fernandes uh, like a hundred percent. He got a, yeah, a pretty good Bruno hand to it. it too. And Luke Shaw. That was a <laughs> horrible penalty. Like maybe one of the worst I've seen, um, <laughs> but it goes in. So, I mean, it was effective in the end, but um, yeah, that's fair. But yeah. That was that was absolutely like some of the goalkeeping was was not great, but some of the penalties, like it has to be said, some of the penalties that were taken were brilliant. And Geronimo himself took one yeah. of the best penalties of the night. Former Manchester City man, by the way, Gerald Rulli. So uh, adding insult to injury with that one. But I mean, arguably, if I'm a if I'm a fan of Man- if I were a fan of Manchester United, I I might be arguing it should never have gone that far. Like De Gea, man, like save one, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. And he was. It was just so easy for them to like wait for him to dive too. Like there was no like. Right. I don't know. Like his anticipation just wasn't very good. Um, but I do feel bad for him that he ends up having to take a penalty because it just should never get to that. No, no. But I mean, for the neutral, it's incredible stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I, I said. Like, I couldn't have asked for much more from this shootout because um, yeah. it was just a, a cool sporting moment. Uh, and and Roy scoring that <laughs> scoring that pen just will just rocketing it that's... into the roof. Uh yeah, absolutely fantastic pen. And then to come out and save your your counterparts um, is just, I mean, that's a, a pretty amazing way to, to, to win a European trophy. Um, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, so the implication for Villarreal, it has a massive impact. Obviously, they didn't finish in the Champions League places in La Liga, but they're in the competition by virtue of, of this Europa League win. And what a what a boost this is to to Unai Emery uh, and and the project he started there. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's huge, obviously, for Villarreal, a club of their size, to get into the big show. And I think for Unai Emery as well, personally, I think he's been wanting to show what he can do on that big stage. Obviously, he, you know, everyone remembers La Remontada and like how he he seemed to be dominating that leg, and then Barca came back. And I think ever since then, he's been wanting to probably prove himself on that stage in the Champions League again. So now he'll get this opportunity with a side that really, I don't think even given, you know, beating Manchester United, I don't think a lot of people are going to have too many expectations of them. So it might be a a nice, like not a free hit, but just a nice uh, opportunity for them and for their fans. Uh, Hopefully by that time that the, the next Champions League season is kicking off, people will be, you know, traveling and going abroad. And like they did for this game, to be fair, there were some fans in the stands in, yeah. in Gdansk, so that was nice. But yeah, it's it's huge for Villarreal. And, and they they were in the Champions League. I mean, Arsenal, we met them in, in the Champions League yeah. some years back. So it's nice to see a, a, a team of their size and 
stature in the European game on the big stage again. Yeah, it's uh and it, what an achievement for for these players to be able to enjoy um, some some real. I mean, it, it a little bit of a mix at Villarreal of of guys who have who have been like great servants to the club. You know, Donny Parejo is the is the outsider, I guess, uh, in yeah. that way. <laughs> He's yeah. just uh, switched colors uh, in. <laughs> Cochran as well, yeah. Yeah, uh, and. Carlos Baca was a fixture of Unai Emery's Sevilla side, was he not? I believe so. He's been around. He was at AC Milan as well. Now at, at Villarreal, he's getting on a bit, but he certainly like had his say in this competition yeah, as well. So. 72 appearances for Sevilla between 2013 yeah. and 15. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and Albert Moreno, <laughs> Alberto Moreno. Yeah. Alberto Moreno. <laughs> I, so I always have a soft spot for him. He obviously his tenure at Liverpool didn't, didn't turn out the way that anyone was hoping. Um, mm. But I'll always remember uh, that match against Spurs it was like the third game of the season or something like that after he had joined the club and he dispossessed Andros Townsend on the uh, on Liverpool's left wing and ran the length of the field and scored at White Hart Lane like a unbelievable strike across the box uh just like totally instinctive and I thought oh my god like we've signed the best left back in the world uh <laughs> little did I know he'd be a complete liability liability um but no, he, he took his penalty well. I'll tell you, I had secondhand nervousness for him stepping up to the penalty <laughs> spot. Um, but yeah, he took a great pen and uh, and yeah, he played played his part in and uh, I think him adding a little bit of spice from his Liverpool history against Manchester United is uh, it's it's always nice to have those little those little weird connections and digs. Um, well, did just, you see his video from the dressing room afterwards? I did. Manchester <laughs> <laughs> United, get out! Get out! <laughs> <laughs> oh, siempre, man. siempre Liverpool. That was that was cool. Yes. That was cool. So, um, no, it is it is awesome to see a former player succeed like that. And I think I think the same goes. You know. I, I can certainly understand where Arsenal fans might be a little bit frustrated that a former manager like goes and wins a, a European trophy like right after his, you know or shortly after his dismissal like from the Emirates but at the end of the day like he just seems so much more comfortable in Spain um for sure for sure and I just yeah I I think his his tenure at Villarreal like obviously now the sky's the limit basically because he gets a free hit at the champions league, uh, you know, just cause, um, and, uh, and now he gets to kind of see, and maybe with that extra money, like maybe a little bit more investment as well. And something that he can, can kick on and maybe turn V rail into a side that's qualifying for the champions league, you know, in the top four, as they had been in the, in, in the, uh, like mid two thousands and, and early 2010s. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a cool, a cool thing. I mean, this game for United, though, a um, little bit of a weird one in that the last time they they won the Europa League final, it was with Jose Mourinho at the helm, and it was their only route into the Champions League. They went into this final having already clinched Champions League football for next season. So 
this was almost a little bit of a free hit for United in that they didn't need to win the trophy. But when you're that heavily favored over the team you're facing, not getting the job done has to be a disappointment. I mean, yeah, the financial gulf between these two clubs cannot be overstated. Manchester United should have won just on that basis alone. And it would have you're right. They didn't have the necessity to win this competition to get into Champions League for next season, but it would have lended a whole lot of legitimacy to the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer project, if you will. Um, I think this is pretty damaging for him and and for some players out there too. I mean, I, I think there were a lot of players out there who are on big money and who cost a lot of money, whether that's in transfer fees or, or whatever their wages and did not perform. Yeah. Um, Paul Pogba, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of like harping on him just cause I think he does get called out uh, too much sometimes, but sometimes he's just shocking. Like he was that night losing yeah. the ball constantly, not being the driving force that you would expect him to be. I mean, just getting bodied off the ball. Uh, you know, I don't know. The, you know, you pay the money for that kind of player because you think in these moments that's when they'll really shine and, and pull you through and grab the game by the scruff of the neck, as they say. And he did not yeah. do that. Marcus Rashford snatching at chances. Um, just, <laughs> I don't know what to make of him on that on the night. And and he's had some really good nights in Europe before, to be fair, like in, in Champions League even. So against PSG, it was just bizarre. Most it felt like he notably PSG. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there were just a couple performances out there that I just felt were not good enough. It seemed like Edison Cavani was trying to make it, trying to make it happen for for the team and with his experience that that's kind of a given. Bruno Fernandes, nothing to write home about for him. Yeah, um, you know, it, it, there was just a lot of lackluster performances out there, and I, I don't know why that it, why that is. Why everyone just decided to have a bad game at the same time, <laughs> or if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't prepare the team. I don't know what it is. I just think that. They Manchester United, while I do think that they are in the ascendancy, I don't think they can afford to like not take these kind of competitions seriously. And I thought that they were the best team left in the Europa League by some distance. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just disappointing for them. Their, uh, their summer is an interesting one as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually in the post-match, in his comments immediately following the game, said that like directly referenced that they need two or three new players, um, <laughs> which I yeah. felt was out of character on the one mm-hmm. hand, like it felt very Mourinho um, to immediately deflect to, we need to do business in the summer. Um, it didn't feel very soul um, but his, that comment, I mean, this United squad obviously like has undergone loads of investment over the last, you know, five, 10 years. I mean, in the premier league era, it's undergone a ton of investment. Um, but the, (laughs) but this particular summer, like how much business do United need to do? Yeah. That's funny that you say it is Mourinho S because it kind of is, I think like uh, Ole is, made it a point to not like dig out anyone publicly or, or, or intimate that the squad's not good enough for what he's trying to achieve. So it was a bit different for him to come out and say something like that, uh, you know, immediately following a loss, of course, but, um, a big loss, uh, in terms of their summer, 
I, I mean, I think he's right, objectively speaking. I think sure. they do need to add pieces. I think the, the squad balance isn't right. They've needed, a, in my opinion, I think they've needed like a true defensive midfielder for a while now. I don't think Nemanja Matic is going to cut it or Fred or or even McTominay. I think actually McTominay is probably better, like a little bit fo- more forward, um, yeah. like in a three or whatever. Um, Donna Van de Beek, I don't know what's going on there. Still doesn't get on the pitch. It's kind of a weird one at this point. Um they may want to add a striker or, or a goal-scoring wide player, a la Jaden Sancho, maybe. Yeah. Um, Linked because... with a Ronaldo return now. Oh, my goodness. I think that's the last thing Manchester United need to go out and do is is bring him back and, uh, you know, handcuff the club to those wages and then force, you know, inflation of their wages across the roster, as, as Pogba's transfer did, actually. So, yeah. Business-wise, I think that's the last thing they should be doing. And, and the, yeah. I mean, it would be funny because <laughs> I don't support United. And I think it would be a, a, ultimately not a good thing for them. But I don't know. That's bizarre. Do you think that's actually coming off? Or is that just like the like lazy like rumor that can just do the rounds now? Especially now that I guess Ronaldo's not happy at Juventus or wants to right. move on. Yeah. I think, I think it's certainly something that United have shown like they – they will do stuff like that for sure. (laughs) Like they will do these like big name, like glamour signings and they don't really care about the financials around it. Um, Mm. I think what, what would concern me as a United fan about Ronaldo returning is the impact that Ronaldo had negatively on the other attackers at Juventus. Um, That's how I like, I would worry about your current crop of attackers, Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood, and in particular, Bruno Fernandes, like (laughs) how they interact with a guy who literally needs the ball to go through him, like in every phase, um, like of an attack, he has to be the focal point in order to be happy. Um, and Bruno is also that guy. Like, you can't have two of those guys because it just doesn't it doesn't work. Like, if they're demanding the ball, um, then yeah, I just think I would worry about the function of the attack if I was a United fan. Not to mention the other stuff, like how it would inflate inflate everybody's wages, and it would you know be, I think, commercially yeah. like a very stupid thing to do because despite the fact that you'll sell a bunch of shirts, um, you're going to be looking to offload like a 38 year old Ronaldo in a couple of years. And that's just like, not, it's not something that's going to make any sort of like financial sense. Um, Mm -hmm. and in the meantime, it could make your attack totally dysfunctional. Could make your attack totally dysfunctional, and actually, I think it will make your entire team and the way that it plays totally dysfunctional. Because we saw that with Juventus this season, where sure Ronaldo scored a bunch of goals, and I think he does end up being Capocannoneri. But when he didn't play, Juventus actually looked more uh, cohesive yeah. <laughs> without yeah. him because they weren't forcing the ball, spamming the ball to him. And I think Pirlo was able to, you know, try out some ideas that he had that don't involve this like 
nine that's not gonna run anymore and it's just gonna wait for the ball in the box you know so um yeah i think that's the last thing united should be trying to do but at the same time as you said phil we wouldn't put it past them necessarily so the the last thing we have before we move off the europa league is a question from dave watts on twitter he said i need opinions on changing the europa league logo to match the conference league logo the trophy and how both leagues are going to share the Europa League anthem. We haven't talked much about the conference, um, but this is <laughs> the new third tier league yeah. uh, in Europe that's starting next season, and they've basically merged. They it's the UEFA Europa Conference League uh, is its full name. It's Christian name. <laughs> Harold Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that actually, Dave. So thank you for enlightening me. I didn't realize they were like gonna just cross market each other. That's that's that makes like that gives Tim Pot vibes to like both the competitions instead. Like make it its own thing. Like show some respect for the clubs that are gonna be playing in this competition. Yeah. Cause I do think uh, and maybe this is not answering the question directly. I think the conference league is a really nice opportunity for some of these smaller sides on the continent that could play in Europe. I think that's yep. really great. I have no, I'm not sticking my nose up at that, but yeah, don't make it like a joke where you're like legitimately branding it with Europa league. That just muddles things unnecessarily. Well, I think uh, that brings us to the end of this first part. So we can uh, take a quick break. We've got, promotions, manager merry-go-round. We've got the transfer season beginning. We've got tons more to talk about, so stay tuned. Cool. Um, if you're a real Beatles fan, like name one of their songs and not Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, that's great. This app is free. Welcome back, Mika this weekend was the culmination of something we, we spent a whole episode talking about the promotion chases in, in the second divisions across Europe. And we got the showcase piece of the, the English football league with the championship playoff final, um, Brentford against Swansea at Wembley and the bees on their 10th attempt to be promoted via the playoffs have done it and they are into the premier league and into top flight football in England for the first time since 1947. Yeah. Insane. Finally. Uh, there's been so much heartbreak for, for Brentford fans in the playoffs, but I guess the 10th time is the charm. <laughs> um, Swansea, man, they did not show up on the day. Um, and I think Brentford just, you know, I spoke about it in, in part one about having gone to these, you know, been to these playoffs or these finals and, and losing, but knowing that you've got that experience. And it seems like Brentford certainly took what they, the heartbreak of last year and kind of melded that into just a really strong performance this year against, uh, you know, a similar team, arguably, uh, to Fulham that year with, with Swansea City, who were, you know, definitely trying to just be dogged defensively and hope that their star striker can can put them ahead and, and get them through. But it just wasn't to be for Swansea that day. Um, and, and Brentford were excellent. I mean, they just showed all the best parts of, of, of their football, of Thomas Frank's football. And 
Um, Ivan Tony, I mean, like he's as good as advertised. Yeah. Like he could have had a screamer. Uh, uh, that one that that went off the bar was just like, ugh. I literally if that goes in. I literally tweeted, "If there was a god, that would have gone in." <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does get a penalty though. He does good movement in the box, and I don't know what Freddie Woodman is doing, challenging for that one. Um, and then uh, Emiliano Marcondes, I think, is the second one. So yeah. Just overall, a really good performance for Brentford, but um, and, and they're and they're up and they're a quality team and a quality addition to the Premier League, and that's yeah. I think what I'm really looking forward to is seeing how they can how their game translates. Um, you know, I I worry a little bit if they're going to be like Norwich of two seasons ago, where sure. like they're so used to the ball and then they come up against much better opposition that that are also used to having the ball and yeah they're kind of nullified in that way or if they're able to kind of weather it. But um, if they can keep these, these pieces together, I think that they will be a very interesting prospect in the Premier League. Indeed. A couple like thoughts on the game. I think first is I was, I was struck to, to your point about like, will Brentford be able to hang um, in the Premier League? The thing about mm-hmm. this performance in particular, that really just, solidified i think one the the maturation that has gone Mm -hmm. on at brentford over the course of the last season um but also their ability to stay up um next season which obviously that's you know the goal for any promoted team um was that this performance easily when they scored that second in the 20th minute it easily could have become let's see how many we can get Let's really just go all out and try to embarrass Swansea, right? Like, or try to try to put up just a really emphatic win. That's not what they did. Their approach became very professional, like at the point where they could have really turned the screw and tried to go all out and attack. They just, they really became, they played within themselves and they just, they really actually gave the ball to Swansea quite a bit. Um, so the professionalism like in this performance, I think was really what stood out to me outside of the fact that, yeah, Ivan Tony is going to be an absolute menace uh, for, for hmm. Premier League yeah. defenses to face. He wins so much in the air. He's so good with the ball at his feet um, and has a hell of a strike on him as well, as was evidenced by that, by that strike off the bar that, uh, you know, cruelly stays uh, <laughs> from going over the line. Um but their second goal is everything you love about a fluid attacking side, uh, defending their own goal from a corner and going straight down the other end in, you know, a handful of passes, um, and, and scoring, um, Emiliano Marcondes, the strike itself is, is very clean. Just, uh, just a great, a great strike, but, it's all made in that buildup and, and it looks even like the chance maybe is gone, but they all keep their composure and pick that right cut back to, to Marcondes. So um, yeah, it was a pleasure to, to watch that game, but it was really interesting that they just, I don't know, Brentford kind of killed it rather than turning it into some sort of like exhibition. Um, they, you know, just made sure that they saw it out and uh you know, we were talking on the on the morning about about Swansea's approach to this game, and they just came out the blocks. Uh, they woke up and and chose violence, and uh, 
could have had a red card inside the opening five minutes, um, but ended up with with a red card um, in the 66th and didn't fashion a shot on target in the match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Swansea's approach to this one was questionable, to say the least. I mean, like you said, I think it was Grimes who goes in two-footed, like, really early, and the, the referee is like, look, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, someone's – and I, I think I tweeted it, like, well – Someone's gonna get a red card eventually, and it does. It came to pass. I think Fulton gets sent off for yep. you know a shocking challenge, and uh, Swansea were just really trying to boot in and hashtag let them know you're there and all that kind of thing. But yeah. Brentford were, I think they were very mature in the way that they dealt with it and not lashing out at them and just playing, continuing to play their game and like you said, not turning it into a track meet when they probably could have probably had the right to but yeah. uh, they just wanted to to you know tie it up in a nice bow for their fans at Wembley and and they do so and and Swansea really just did not offer enough in in the attacking the attacking part of their game I thought Andrea Yu was noticeably disappointing for me I was really keying on him to be the difference maker and he was uh in, in earlier in the playoffs yeah um and we know that he can do it at Premier League level as well although it's been some years now but um I mean it's it I kind of fault him for the second goal because he probably could be do a little bit better to stay on his feet there and not lose the ball in his own box for, for Brentford to counter clinically as we know they can do. So, um, yeah, just not Swansea's day. I thought maybe the defensive, uh, solidity that they have might get them through, but I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that Brentford are going up to be fair. I think they're a really great addition. As I said, to the top flight of, of English football. An interesting uh, organization as well um, in the way that they recruit and the way that they uh, do business. Um, They have uh, an interesting academy setup where they don't actually have an academy. They just have a Mm. like a B team. Um, So they don't feel controversial, I guess, but it works for them. Yeah, they don't feel like a full academy. They just strictly have like Brentford B. Um, so it's an interesting approach. Um, but the way they recruit and Ivan Tony is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, they went to league one Peterborough and grabbed Ivan Tony who never had like a super prolific season of scoring and they plugged him into the side and he had <laughs> nearly 50 goal involvements. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Um, not, not bad. <laughs> yeah, and set the championship record for goals in a season with 31. Um, yeah. So Well, and not only the way they recruit, but the way they sell as well. Like, yeah. Brentford never really let it be the death of their project. Because, you know, think of the names that have left, um, you know, Brentford in the recent past. Like, Neil Mopai, Saeed Ben-Rama, Ollie Watkins. I mean, yeah. some of these pieces in another side, that'd be like, oh, that's it. That's our project done. Yep. Done and dusted. But uh, they've managed to soldier on and, and get better, arguably. Yeah. Yeah, it is a, a fascinating project they're running over there. And, and uh, Thomas Frank just is uh, a great personality, I think, to add to the Premier League as well. Um, mm. Very much the the the. He's a Danish form of that that young German, younger German like style of manager um, in the in the <laughs> yeah. style of of Klopp and Tuchel and um, Danish Nagelsmann. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just his uh, 
just a lot of enthusiasm on the touchline and, and, uh, clearly a lot of, of tactical nows to go along with it. So, um, yeah, so pleased for them just having like learned a lot about their, their project over there. And, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be awesome to see them in the prem. Uh, I think we joked about them and leads coming up against each other, (laughs) eight, seven score lines. So we spoke about, the Zweite Bundesliga and the promotion chase a couple episodes ago and Holstein Kiel, who were sitting second, uh, lost their final two matches and Greuter Firth pipped them to that automatic promotion place. Um, so Kiel had to settle for the, a spot in the relegation playoffs. They left the first leg against FC Köln, uh, with a one nil lead and headed into the home leg looked firmly in control by the final whistle. It was Colin five keel one um, Colin staying in the Bundesliga five, two on aggregate. This match was most notable for the start. Because there was so many goals or yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was, I don't know where Cone like got this from because there's been times that they've been like really hard to watch and they they just explode on on the new guys on on this one. They're such villains. Fuck Cole. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was always going to be tough to come up against a a experienced um first Bundesliga side uh especially Hochschlenkiel who've never been to the to the top flight um in a playoff situation, but I did not expect it to be like as big of a blowout as it was in the second half. And I'm just disappointed for them because they, it seemed like it was almost a foregone conclusion that they'd be coming up. But uh, as we know, things change very quickly in, in promotion races and relegation battles. Um, so yeah, it just sucks. I was hoping we could see them come up, but at the same time, going to Firth, like they were very good as well throughout yeah. the season. And they, and they certainly deserve to come up on their own merit as well. And, and I'm pleased for Julian green. I mean, it really seems like he's got a, a new lease on life um, as a footballer. And uh, it seems like he's, if not being called up, but certainly being thought of in the U S men's national team conversation. So, so that's good. So with, uh, with Kiel staying in the, in the Zweite Bundesliga, it's Bochum and Firth who are, who are headed up and uh, yeah, an interesting opportunity for those, for those sides to, to show what they can do in the Bundesliga. In France, they have the same setup as Germany, where mm-hmm. that third place team in the in the in uh, Liga de uh, faced off with the uh, third worst team, which in this case was Nance from uh, mm-hmm. from Liga Un, and uh, <laughs> Nance uh, have gone through a hell of a season in that they've had, they started the season with Raymond Domenech, which it was a disaster. The (laughs) former French national team boss, it just didn't go well. Um, They, (laughs) they uh, appoint Antoine Kumbare, who had been like floating around randomly ever since leaving Toulouse, I believe. Um, Well, they face off against Toulouse in the playoff and, they survive by the skin of their teeth 
a two, one win in the first leg was enough to offset a one nil loss in the return leg. Um, so they stay up on away goals over Toulouse. Jeez. Yeah. It doesn't really get much closer than that. And I, I don't know. I mean, obviously Nantes got themselves into the situation in the first place. So, you know, I can't really complain too much about that. But I personally think Nantes are, there are worse teams in Ligue 1 than them. I think they've underperformed, to be fair. And I think that might just be a consequence of the upheaval at, you know, the coaching staff and, and above them. So, because yeah. they do have pieces in that Nantes team that are very promising and, and then some experienced veterans as well. So I don't even know why. They got to where they did. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, like, the more that we talk about this, the more I'm trying to, like, decide what I think about, like, relegation playoffs. Like, it feels like in the EFL championship, that seems fair enough, where, like, the third spot is a playoff among your peers. But I feel some type of way about the way the Bundesliga and, and, and Ligue 1 do it, where you play a team above you and... More often than not, I think maybe the stat heads will have to check me on this, but it always like the the top flight team stays up, and it's like, yeah, I don't know how fair that is. I don't know. What do you think? I I don't personally like it either. I think mm. I think the the thought adds to like it can be very dramatic um, yeah. having it just be a two legged playoff, um, but I I personally am of the mind where it, you know if you're in the relegation places like you should go down then you should go down yeah right yeah um, none of this none of this like second chance yeah business and it and it <laughs> does it there is a layer of inequality that goes on like that top flight team more often than not as you said like has far greater resources than a team that's finished third in the second division um right and we'll stay up for it right yeah so i i do think it it definitely puts more of a it, like you're not going to see teams promoted as frequently um by the playoffs when you have that set up obviously i you know i i enjoy the the way that the efl championship um decides their their third place although there are times where when the third place team doesn't go up i i also feel for them <laughs> like third in the table. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I understand the excitement of the playoffs and, and, uh, Nals in this case, I guess benefit. Um, but the, the teams coming up, um, in, in France from Ligue 2 is, uh, Clermont, I believe finished second. Yep. Clermont, um, finished second and Troy, Troye? I think it's actually a stack toi. Toi. And they are owned by City Football Group, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, God. <laughs> Why? Why does this have to keep happening? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't wait. I can't wait. Like, I think they became their 10th club. Oh, my God. Uh, like, so Troy, uh, toi City FC inbound? Toi City. That almost sounds like Twat City, which is probably <laughs> what you meant. I'm just like, yeah. I I look forward to Hardcore Football Season Ten, uh, Episode Three, where we talk about the four conglomerates that are left that own football clubs, and everybody else. It's it's just a bunch of conglomerates <laughs> playing each other. Oh my like God. the Champions like Red, League is Red just Bull Group versus yeah. City Group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they are. Uh, That's depressing. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, I should, I should like, I should just guess that that's the case. Like, oh, they've been promoted. Like, who owns them? Um, who could have done this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Girona's also in the mix, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe Segunda's all tied up, but yeah, yeah uh, Segunda's not quite, not quite there. Um, the other playoff that is decided is Serie B uh, in Italy. Um, and the playoff final was extremely dramatic, but it ended with Venezia um, going back to the top flight over at the uh, at the expense of Citadella in the in the playoff final. Um, Venezia grabbing a 93rd minute winner to go up to one uh, on aggregate and find themselves back in the top flight down to nine men at the time as well. Oh my God. Like literally <laughs> against all odds to come up. It's incredible. And I mean, Venezia, for those who are not like Italian savvy, that does mean Venice. So they celebrated on gondolas in their canals as they do. And it was just scenes. It was um, unbelievable. Also, shout out Venezia for their nickname. One of their nicknames, Glia Rancho Nero Verdi. The orange, black, greens, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, you will look at their kits and you'll know why. These kits are fire. They are. And they deserve to be promoted on that alone. <laughs> they have they have a very, like, high fashion feel. Yes. Like, it, if you blink, you wouldn't know it said Venezia. It might say Versace. Like, you're not right. sure. Right. <laughs> like, it's very, like, oh, good tour. <laughs> it is. It is. And it, it, the kits are, the kits are sick. Um yeah, the the other teams in Italy promoted Empoli and Salernitana, um, and and you actually uh, pointed to Salernitana as a as a, a particular favorite going up just due to where they're where they're at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like that they're uh, aside from Campania, which is in the south, you know, where 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 Napoli is and stuff. So, um, I mean, Nap- Naples is the capital of of Campania, and that's where Salernitana is. So. They're a seaside uh, side, I guess you could say, uh, <laughs> the, the Garnets, Granata, like Torino are. But I just like that there's more sides from the south um, starting to, to come up and be in the ascendancy. So I just like to have geographic diversity because it seems like the Milans and the Juventuses of the world are just so dominant. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's not yeah. dissimilar Sports to seeing uh, Southern Italian football. <laughs> yeah, it's not dissimilar to seeing like uh, East German uh, mm. team promoted or, or something in, in that it is, you know, typically a like poorer part of the country. And so they're not right. slinging around the, the dollars that these, uh, the West German sides are. And yeah, Northern Italy, I think famously has that, you know, they've been the center of industry and, and fashion and culture and everything. Exactly. And, um, so to see te- more teams from the South, um, is always is always cool. Um, so in the Segunda in Spain, they are the 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 outlier right now in that their promotion is not settled. We spoke in the last uh, in that promotion episode that Espanol and Mallorca had already been promoted in those automatic spots, but the playoffs are still to be played and will actually happen this week. Um, so Wednesday, Girona faces off against Al- Al- uh, Almeria, um, 
And uh, then Ryo Vicano plays Leganus on Thursday. Um, and then this weekend is the second legs of those matchups. And then the final is still to come. So, um, so it's still all to play for. And it's a two-legged final. So we actually won't have the third promoted team out of, out of the Segunda until June 20th. Mm, okay. <laughs> so they're really wow. dragging this out. Is there anyone that you'd like to see promoted, Phil? I mean, I I don't have like any particular tie to any of these teams. Mm-hmm. Now that you've reminded me that Girona is City Football Group, definitely not them. <laughs> um, but I I know you know Leganes was in was in La Liga just a couple of seasons ago, I think last season, um, yeah. or last season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I have a particular soft spot for Viacano only because, well, a certain, uh, a certain player from our local side is a Viacano legend. Yeah. Yuma, Yuma Monsalves himself. <laughs> um, but Rio Viacano also has this weird connection with us soccer where they started the ill-fated Rio OKC, um, mm. which is just a, just a meme worthy uh, era of NASL that existed in the early 2010s. So yeah, <laughs> just um, anyways, I, I, I think seeing Viacano back in the, back in the, in La Liga would be cool, but um, no, I don't, I don't like, I'm not rooting against anyone aside from Girona. That's fair. That's fair. I wouldn't mind any of these, of these teams going up. I think, it would be interesting if Almeria come up because I think they're the most equipped to actually spend money about coming up and maybe comfortably stay up given their their resources. But Leganes, like I just like Leganes. I like that they have a fucking cucumber as a yeah. as a <laughs> mascot. Like if that's not top flight, I don't know what is. Um, but of course, Rayo too. I mean, obviously a storied club um, um, representing Vallecas in, in Madrid, that working class neighborhood, and they're just like a iconic club and a lot of icons have come through there and our, our very own Yuma as well, the captain of our local side, as he said, Viacano legend. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind any one of them, but Jesus, I didn't realize it's going to take like another three weeks before we know. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> the Euros are going to be like half over by the time. Right. Like... <laughs> Sheesh. Um, speaking of Madrid sides, um, we go from Real Viacano to Real Madrid. And mm. the coaching carousel, the manager merry-go-round, whatever you want to call it, um, <laughs> amusement park themed reference that you want to make. Um, it really starts with Zidane uh, only because of the amount of mess that Zidane is leaving in his wake. He steps down uh, again as the manager of Real Madrid. He, it's not the first time that he's done this, but a little bit different in that he did it accompanied with an open letter published in AS. Yeah. I mean, first of all, iconic that he's leaving again (laughs) on his own terms. I mean, (laughs) since when, you know, managers don't typically get to do that that often. (laughs) So I, I think there's something to be said about that, but this open letter is astounding for, for many reasons, but I think, I just want to read the the quote that everyone's probably seen by now and the one that jumped out to me. He said, I'm leaving because I feel the club no longer has the faith in me I need nor the support to build something in the medium or long term. 
which is like pretty pointed. And then he also goes on to say that people within the club leaked things to purposely, you know, leak things to the media to purposely destabilize him and his side, which is like incredible, like an absolutely crazy thing to say. And I'm, I'm sure that's true, but it's just like saying the quiet parts out loud. Yeah. Are we using a deed? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, this is a man who's had enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and on the heels of Barcelona going through a whole scandal of, of that exact, mm. that exact uh, accusation, uh, against, the, you this, know, like conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it is stunning um, when when you see someone of the mythological status of Zinedine Zidane, because I mean, as a player, he legitimately is a myth. Like he's he's Hercules. Like <laughs> he is right. that he's level an icon. Yeah, to have him be this frank and honest is just something that we don't really see that Mm -hmm. often, especially when it comes to departing a club. Like, can you imagine, can you imagine like Frank Lampard dropping like a several paragraph open letter in the guardian or the times or something like that? Um, we'd like still be talking about it (laughs) (laughs) of like, this is, this is how, like how I wasn't supported at, at Chelsea. Like, yeah. And Zidane is doing this knowing full well that he is that mythological figure for Real Madrid fans and that he is actually one of the few people that could get away with it with something like this without being just completely destroyed. Um, Right. He may actually like it's weird to say, but he may actually be bigger than Real Madrid, like in a way. I mean, they, the the man has walked away on his own accord twice now. I, I, again, like that's significant. I think because I mean, I Florentino Perez is is always the smartest man in the room, or so we think. Sure, um, he's taken some L's this year, but you know that's neither here nor there. But I, I have, find it hard to believe that Flo wasn't like somewhat privy to this this decision yeah. and possibly even this open letter. I mean, he runs the media in Spain. Maybe that's a bit strong. Fascinating. And yeah, I mean, it would, it would tend to suggest that he might be bigger than the institution as, as it stands right now. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, on the flip side in, in sporting terms, Real Madrid won fuck all this season. Right. Uh, it's been a tough season. I think Zidane has done the best he could to be fair, but I mean, you rarely ever stick around I think as a manager having not won anything that's just simply unacceptable at Real Madrid so maybe it was just time in that regard as well Uh, maybe he's gotten as much as he can out of this squad and felt clearly felt that he wasn't going to be supported in the next phase so time to go Zidane uh maybe timing this with the Euros as well because the timing of his last departure was also in line with a world cup year, right? Uh, Mm, is he maybe just making himself available for the France job? Should it, should it become available? That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, that's a good thing. I I haven't thought of that actually. Maybe I think, I mean, that seems like the natural landing place for him is maybe a national team job, something a little less like day to day intense. Sure. 
Um, and, and he knows that he'll be respected as soon as he enters that dressing room, much like he was at Real Madrid, given his icon status uh, for the side. So, yeah, maybe maybe this if this is... Um, if this is... Wow, I am totally blanking on his name. It's not Laurent Blanc. <laughs> uh, Didier Deschamps. Deschamps, that's right. Yeah, Didier Deschamps, who has brought Kareem Benzema back in. So I don't know. Maybe he's trying to hedge against like Zidane coming through. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Maybe it's a whole conspiracy, Phil. (laughs) Do you think there's any shot that Zidane ends up at another club? I thought that he was being sounded out for the Juventus job, but then they go ahead and bring in Max Allegri. So I don't know. Like, I don't know what would be a, a natural landing spot for him. Yeah. Um, right now anyway. I don't think there's anywhere else that is attractive or realistic for now. No. There's no other place where he'll have the same treatment that he had at Madrid, which is, I mean, legitimate club legend. Juve's really like the one that like would have maybe made sense. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know that there's a job out out there that like makes makes as much sense for him as as Madrid so it's a it's a weird um dynamic that he's built but yeah leaves on his own terms again and now Real Madrid um there's been a lot of names thrown around um maybe the most prominent of which has been Antonio Conte who is also part of this because he has left Inter by mutual consent, having just won the Scudetto with with Inter for the first time in in whatever ele- or eleven years or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Poor Inter fans, man. They can't enjoy the Scudetto like just a little bit longer. They had to have Antonio straight up leave. Um, yeah, I mean, it was put to him by the the hierarchy, Stephen Zhang and his and Suning group, that they need to cut costs. They need to sell about eighty million of players. And uh, obviously Antonio Conte wanted the exact opposite of that, which is more investment. And he earned the right, I think, to be demanding of that, having won the league and knocked Juventus off their perch. So I guess I guess it's not that shocking then that he would leave, given that he knew he wasn't going to get that same amount of investment. And actually Inter had, had asked the players to take wage cuts as well. So um, just financially kind of a mess at Inter right now and, and Conte's gone along along with that um we'll see who follows him out the door it looks like Hakimi might be the large chunk of that 80 million that they need to make back um with rumors of him going to like Bayern or Chelsea I don't know um yeah PSG so yeah I mean those are those are the only teams that can afford him um <laughs> on right. on form uh there was an interesting <laughs> interesting thing that came out um an Italian journalist, Sandro Sabatini, uh, appeared on Italian TV and uh, just went off <laughs> on on Antonio Conte. Said Conte oh. disappointed me. Leaving the team that won the Scudetto before even knowing what would happen was a betrayal. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm assuming this man's an Inter fan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. I haven't really gotten my finger on the pulse of what Inter fans feel about this. I'm sure they're disappointed, but I don't know if there's like betrayal vibes. Like, I think, I don't know. I would think they would almost understand it, but it is 
it sucks. I mean, you like yeah. to see what he could have built. He got a European final his first year, and then the Scudetto in the next. So, would have been nice to see what he could build. But yeah, pretty widely known, or it seems likely that Simone Inzaghi, uh, having just departed Lazio, is going to be the man to replace Antonio Conte at Inter. And uh, what a job facing facing that man in uh, taking on the helm of the defending champions. Yeah, I mean that's obviously that's a huge job and huge shoes to fill of Antonio Conte. But judging by how disappointed Lazio fans are that Simone Inzaghi has left, I can only assume that he's going to do a, a fine job at Inter, and he's got a lot of pieces to work with. Um, assuming that squad can stay together, notably Romelu Lukaku and players like that. So I think it's probably the best case scenario in terms of hiring like domestically is to to get a guy like Inzaghi in. The the other major Italian shakeup is at Juve, as we mentioned, Max Allegri back in makes the return. Um, he was Juve manager from 2014 to 2019, won five league titles, uh, took them to two Champions League finals with with no wins on that front, famously, um, and returns now with Andrea Pirlo unceremoniously sacked after one season. Um little bit of Lampard vibes from the Pirlo appointment? Ah, well, Pirlo won stuff. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that's true. He did. He won the Italian Cup. He won Supercopa? I don't know. Something else. Yeah. Um, This one is weird to me. For it's not weird to me that Allegri is is the man that they turn to. It's but it also is weird to me that Allegri is the man that they turn to because the whole reason why you well, not the whole reason but what, a big reason why Juventus hired Pirlo in the first place is because they wanted to usher in this new generation of Juventus and yeah. be more attacking and be more you know possession oriented and progressive on the ball and and they, you know in winning those five scudetti they played pretty functional football they kind of adjusted based on what. The opposition and what the day required and and that, there's nothing wrong with that it's just surprising to me that they're now you know they went out and 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 took a risk on Pirlo to to usher in this new era of Juventus and try to be a, a sexier team if you will and um you know we know their chairman Agnelli is obsessed with all this like pleasing the millennials kind of shit being all the shit that he said about the super league so yeah that's why it's a bit surprising to me is that they're just like reverting to type at at the first sign of like growing pains. Like, does that mean that that whole ushering in the new era of Juventus is over now? Like we're just going back to Allegri or are we expecting Allegri to be different? Cause that's not what makes him brilliant, you know? So right. <laughs> I, I don't know that this is a weird one. Um, well, yeah. I think Max Allegri is a fine coach. But, uh, I might've even taken him at Arsenal, honestly, but it's just weird for me. They're just going backwards. It feels like in terms of their intentions as, as a, brand i hate to say that but i think you know what i mean yeah no i think i think that makes total sense where their momentum was kind of heading one way and instead they've done this thing that i think i don't know i think it's become like trendy almost amongst Mm. these like big teams to just like whatever worked last uh they'll just (laughs) try that again um and hopefully it works again um to mixed mixed results, I guess would be the best way to to encapsulate right. that. But I think 
I think for, for Juve, they just felt, they must've felt like they were getting further from winning a champions league than closer. Um, and mm-hmm. I think this is a, this has all of the trappings of a like panic appointment, um, in that it's like, he can get us back to, you know, he can win Scudetti. Like he's shown that he can, he can take care of the, the like basics. He just need, you know, and he can take us to a champions league final, um, or two. Um, so I think, I think that it just, it's just like it worked before. So maybe it'll work this time also. Um, but I think his, the vision that they were trying to implement under Pirlo, as you, as you said, like as a club in like this direction they were going, they've, they've firmly thrown it in reverse and just like, let's. And under Sadi as well, I like almost forgot he was there. Yeah. To, like start it off. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's yeah, weird. it's definitely a strange appointment. Um, the, we spoke now, I mean, now it's almost been months since the Mourinho sacking about um, potential replacements and what Spurs were going to do. Now Spurs and Real Madrid both have managerial vacancies and reportedly Mauricio Pochettino is sounding them out and seeing <laughs> seeing what's out there, having just been appointed PSG boss earlier this year. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> Every time this an issue with the PSG manager comes up, inescapably the name Leonardo also, you know, comes up in these pieces. Um, And I mean, it's starting to seem like he's. I mean, what's the common denominator, right, of the problems at PSG? Oftentimes, it's him, the sporting director, Leonardo. He's fallen out with Miami. He's fallen out with. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah i'm having a lot of brain farts today i apologize but um and and now apparently he and Potter are having issues we don't know how like true that is but i honestly would not surprise me because leonardo is kind of intense <laughs> um yeah. and uh I, I don't know if he manages to lose another quality manager then then serious questions have to be asked about the amount of power that he has at psg i think because Sure, Pochettino didn't win the league, but I think he could almost be forgiven for that, given given uh, that he came in midway and, yeah. and, you know, had to think of the Champions League and all this stuff first, and that's really been the priority, I think. So I think that they need to make it work with him or it's going to look really silly. Um, and if And the whole, like, Spurs angle of it, too, is just kind of like, I don't know. Like, will ever will things be the same or or better if he returns? I don't think so. I don't think Daniel Levy's changed much. Uh, maybe they just need some time apart. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, I just don't see him supporting Pochettino in a second. In a second, like go at it. Why yeah. he could have done that before without sacking him, you know? Right. But he had the stadium to pay for, and and I don't think that that's changed much. I think if anything, the, the debts have gotten worse with COVID nineteen. So. So that's a, that's a weird one. One, it looks like they're Tottenham's likely about to replace Harry Kane, um, and famously mm. they have not done a very good job of replacing superstars when they've sold them in the past. It, Gareth Bale being the you know obviously the most prominent example of it took them years to recover from his departure. Um, 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't, I think Daniel Levy's broken the seal in, in a way of like, he violated that relationship first. Like he basically tossed Pochettino out at his most, like, obviously it wasn't a great period for Spurs. I'm not saying that like Pochettino was winning everything under the sun or anything like that, but they had just been to a champions league final, which is about as good as it gets for, for Spurs. Um, yeah. And to take kind of a rough patch of form and make it all about that, uh, in, in hiring a new manager. And Oh, by the way, we're just like, we just happened to be filming a documentary at the time that we hired Jose Mourinho. Um, (laughs) the, like all that stuff, just came together in this weird thing. I don't know that Pochettino, I mean, if I'm him, I would never go back given the circumstances surrounding. It's like, I, I took you to the Zenith of your like prominence. Um, and I, all I got was sacked. So the, yeah, for me, if, if the situation's not great at PSG, like if I'm him, I'm angling, I'm angling to Madrid, but, I don't know that like if he's not handling Leonardo that well, like will he handle Papa flow? Like, will that be a better Mm -hmm. situation? See, but Papa flow is like more often than not, his decisions come off. That's true. You know, like Hazard is like a horrific (laughs) outcome, but like Courtois is a pretty good signing. Um, you know, some of these youngsters from Brazil are pretty good. Uh, you know, I think Florentino Perez is very much interested in, in continuing to win, so that might be. But you're right; like he's the man there. Like Pochettino is not going to be the man, and I don't know. Right. Maybe he's okay with that. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But um, I think I think Real Madrid could certainly do worse than him. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I would like to say that I think we pointed out that that this Leonardo Pochettino relationship could have been strained when he was first appointed. And it seems that that has come to pass. So I just want to like, for the <laughs> hey. record, I'm pretty sure we talked about this. Um, <laughs> so in the last, like just bizarre departure of the season, Christophe Galtier leaves Lille basically the second the title was confirmed. Uh, like, yeah, the Lille faithful were still nursing their post celebration hangovers and, (laughs) and Christophe Gaultier announced that he was leaving the club by mutual consent. Um, it looks like nice is the destination, but now other teams are throwing their hat in the ring, uh, cause he hasn't officially signed on. So, I mean, all of these vacancies are kind of being bandied about uh, the Madrid opening, the Spurs opening Lazio, but ultimately Gaultier has made it pretty clear that he wants to stay in France. Yeah. I think that's, what's going to decide this for him. And um, I think OG Stini, I think it is bizarre, but it's also not because Lille, as we've spoken about on this pod before, have a lot of financial issues and there's no way that this squad stays together. Yeah long-term to, to make another go of it in Liga. Unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. And I don't think Christophe Gautier is can be 
blamed necessarily for wanting to kind of jump ship while he's on top. Um, and and to be fair, Ojisinis is a very attractive option for a manager like him because they do plan to invest. I mean, Ineos are very rich. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an attractive project in an attractive city with, uh, you know, very loyal fans and, and already some good pieces there anyway. So I, I don't blame him if he wants to go to Nice and, and maybe recreate or even best what he did at Lille. Um, and, and we'll see. He's, he's just a gift to French football and European football in general. I, I would love to see what else he can do like elsewhere on the continent or maybe in, in England, but I wouldn't begrudge him a move to Nice. And now we know why Alexi Bassetti was standing so hard for Lille. <laughs> uh, people were like, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was like low key a Lille ultra for the last like month. <laughs> just to get Gaultier to come to Nice after all, right. all this time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Famous Nice, uh, Alexi Bassetti and yes. locomotive legend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As we said, silly season is underway and it isn't just for managers. We've got a couple of pieces of news on on new signings that have come through. Sergio Aguero has been signed on a free by Barcelona. Yeah, he they've been plastering his face all over the the social medias today on um, pictures of him doing his medical at the Ciutat Sportiva Barcelona and like all this stuff and the the uh hashtag like Kunkuler, which just sounds weird. It sounds like you're cursing, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um I mean, this was in the works for a while and it's a fine signing. Like I think Aguero can still offer something to a club. He's cert I think he's far from finished. I think the the goal scoring is still there, but maybe the injuries in his body is catching up to him a little bit. Um, and obviously it was, it was pretty heartbreaking how he ended his city career, but, um, the bizarre part of this though, is like, you just sold Luis Suarez because he was too old apparently. And now you bring in Sergio Aguero for what? Um, but on the flip side, if they are just, if they're putting him on a reasonable wage and getting rid of Martin Brathwaite, then that's also kind of a good signing in that way because he's certainly better than him. Sure. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective. But on the surface, yeah, it does look like, well, why'd you get rid of Luis Suarez then? So right. I don't know if they're just trying to bring in Messi's BFF and make him happy or, <laughs> or what. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. We'll see what he can do back in La Liga now. Yeah, it'll – obviously, you know, I think – with him being at city for 10 years, uh, it, it would be easy for, for fans to forget that he, you know, made his name at, at Letty. And, um, and so coming to Barca now in a season where Atletico are the, the reigning champions of La Liga is a little bit, a little bit awkward, (laughs) quite honestly. Um, but, I get the signing, but it does almost feel, as you said, like the, the Suarez comparisons are, and, and um, connections are going to be brought out this whole next season. And they're going to look at his Suarez's production versus Aguero's and how many games Aguero misses through injury versus how many Suarez misses. And I think that's ultimately oh, where, where like this signing is, is strange is that he's not a particularly available player. Um, Hmm. like as he gets older, he's, he's missed a lot of games through injury. Um, 
And so the, that's what really like kind of baffles me is, you know, you're signing a 32 year old striker who is world-class on his day and, and can score a, a boatload of goals, but like he has to be available. And I don't know that they're signing a particularly available striker. Whereas Suarez, like you could practically like, he's going to miss like maybe two or three games through injury a season. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I, it, it just strikes me as a little odd, um, like marriage of convenience type type thing. And when connected to the other people they've been linked to, namely, you know, Jeannie, Jeannie Wijnaldum, um, on a free from Liverpool, Memphis Depay, uh, is, is linked, but there's not like, they're not being linked with the caliber of signing that you would typically see from Barcelona in like the, you know, they would be going out and buying the best player at whatever position to supplement what they already have. Like Mm -hmm. if this was 20, uh, you know, if, if they were the Barca of 2010, they would go buy Mbappe. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I, you bring up Memphis Depay and I, I don't know, maybe this is like a hot take, but I don't think he's good enough for Barcelona. Um, he's obviously had a fantastic time at Lyon, but that is a different level. And even yeah. in some performances at Lyon, you see why. I don't know. There's just sometimes where he just doesn't show up. And I just don't know that his consistency is, or his attitude on the pitch necessarily is like Barcelona level. I don't know how to explain it, but like I've watched plenty of him and I just, I'm not too convinced of him being at that level. Like I think he could make a return to the Premier League or something, but like a marquee signing for Barcelona, that's just, eh, I don't know. Yeah. David, uh, David Alaba headed to Spain as well. Real Madrid giving a five-year deal to the center back, uh, from Austria. And, uh, yeah, Alaba departing Bayern Munich after 11 years. Um, and like 10 Bundesliga titles or something insane like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah and multiple trophies. Two Champions Leagues, 10 Bundesligas, and six German Cups. Jesus Christ. In more than 400 appearances for, for Bayern. In, in like a multitude of like positions, like center back, left back. <laughs> he started as a left back, I think, primarily. Field. Yeah it's a fine signing. Like he's obviously a world-class player, but it's just funny to me how Real Madrid have been crying all spring about how they don't have any money. And somehow they find a ridiculous wage packet for David Alaba. Yeah. Um, just, I, I fuck these clubs, man. I have no sympathy (laughs) for like, we are broke. It's like, you're, you're not though. Um, or at least not as much as you say, right. Or in a way that's not manageable. If you can afford this, a five-year deal for uh, what is he 30 he's 28 is he 20 okay but i I I aged him my bad (laughs) well i mean and i think of these contracts you almost think of the contract as how old they'll be in the last year so it's like uh i mean realistically you're offering a five-year deal to a person who will be 33 when the deal ends and that is not insignificant um Mm -hmm. like 33 is there's a handful of players that are still operating at their best, like beyond 32. I guess you could argue he's in his prime, I guess at 28, like for a defender, that's like, you're really going to hit like your peak. So that's fine. But again, just the amount of the outlay. Yeah. And, and I think that's the reason why Bayern didn't want to resign him is they thought that the, the wage demands were just ridiculous. Right. Um, so it's like for those I mean, wages, we could him. go get 
Upamecano and and they and they did <laughs> right exactly so, yeah um but yeah the end of an era in a way Al- Alaba longtime servant of Bayern and now heads to heads to Real Madrid um where Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane are both kind of under odd contract things because Sergio Ramos's mm. contract is is up and um they're deadlocked in negotiations Rafael Varane's contract ends next summer um so Madrid have put themselves in a little bit of a situation (laughs) yeah Hmm. weird one um but speaking of defenders Liverpool went out and after a season of unending center back pairings they uh, they went out and grabbed Ibrahima Konate, um, and it would appear that he'll compete um, with the likes of Joe Gomez uh, for that number two spot alongside Virgil Van Dyke, who is is you know getting back to fitness. But um, Konate was at the under twenty one Euros uh, actually just now and. France lost to the Netherlands, so Kanate's summer is uh, is freed up, so he'll get plenty of time to train train with Liverpool before uh, before the start of the season. Yeah, I think he was captain today, but he apparently did not have a good game. <laughs> um, which, I mean, whatever it's yeah. it, it happens. But I, this is like, I think a really, really good signing for Liverpool. Um, he's had a little bit of injury problems here and there, but I wouldn't call it like injury pro necessarily. But I mean, as for the player himself, six, four, I mean, a threat aerially quick, good defender, 21 years old. I mean, like just everything you want in a modern defender and, um, just a cracking signing, like maybe even better than Upa Makano, arguably, I guess we'll see. Um, but just amazing um and probably will be in that france uh senior team soon enough and i'm just really excited to see like what the makeup of of the squad will be once he joins up like is is the idea of van dyke kanate or like does he kind of have to battle that out with joe gomez because i mean we know sometimes that the better player doesn't always start because sometimes the lesser player makes a better partner like yeah. john stones and and ruben diash when arguably i medical port is better so I think it'll be interesting to see that kind of dynamic at Liverpool and, and what comes of that. Yeah. I think it, at this point it's about competition and, and obviously like, I think the, the, the bet they've made is that Konate is, is not, you know, not injury prone and will be, will be available. Joe Gomez has obviously had a little bit of lack of luck with, with injuries um, over, over the years. Joel Matip is, is similarly just seems to, to come up with these um, knocks every once in a while. So I think the bet is, is that, yeah, they want, you know, they want the competition at center back um, a lot for that spot alongside Van Dyke, but um, just a question of, of whether it'll be Konate or, or Joe Gomez. But I think either of them, you know, good right-footed center backs who are good with the ball, um, but also good in the air. And ultimately that's, that was the downfall (laughs) of, of Liverpool's uh, back line, quite honestly, until they started consistently starting Nat Phillips, who uh, it has now even become like a club meme that he wins every header. Um, (laughs) 
And I saw uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, Kanate at uh, at Liverpool. I think it's. I think it. It you know it makes a lot of sense to add depth there um, and not rely on you know youngsters to fill to fill those spots. Um, and hopefully, hopefully everyone stays healthy next season. But um, well, Mika, we've been running our sounds of the season playlist all season long mm-hmm. and season one is coming to a close. It so is. with that being said, your final additions to the sounds <laughs> of the season, season one playlist. All right. Well, I've gone like pop punk this week. Uh, my first song is a song called mutiny by set your goals. Just a really catchy uh, pop punk song. Like, punk slash hardcore kind of song melodic hardcore i don't know what you want to call it but it just reminded me of like this is dan situation of just his open letter and feeling like the forces from within were going against him uh, <laughs> in his in his decision to step down as real madrid boss so i think he felt like there was a mutiny on his hands maybe not from the dressing room but just from the powers that be so i thought this was a fitting one and then my other one is just a song that like is a quintessential like summer song i guess uh, and that's uh, Feeling This by Blink-182. So I thought I'd throw that on there as we conclude season one and, and prepare for the fucking summer tournaments because it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are mine. Um, what do you got for us, Phil? Well, I've got um, my first song that I chose was similarly with uh, with all of the movement and all of the champions being crowned and promotions being determined and all the, all these things. I chose a song called Kings and Pawns by a band called I am King. Um, I am King are like a very much, they're very much a like quintessential, like post hardcore band in that they're really, they're really melodic when they're melodic and they're really, really intense when they're intense. So (laughs) this song just has a lot of cool dynamics kind of back and forth and, um, just a good mix of the, you know, the lead singer's got, got a a great voice, but they're, uh, but it hits as well. And Kings and Pawns, it's literally, you know, we've got some of these teams that, or some of these figures that are, are Kings right now, like, like Zidane, just, leaving his club, Mm -hmm. like (laughs) just leaving when he wants. Um, and then, you know, others that are, that are pawns. Uh, I mean, (laughs) Shalka (laughs) Narfir. Um, catches strays. And then, uh, yeah, that was unnecessary. I apologize to any Shalka. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will see you in the in the Zweite Bundesliga next season with Dinamo Dresden. Holy um, shit, you will! Yeah. Wow, that's weird it's as fuck. Pretty cool. I looked <laughs> up. I mean, I saw. I tweeted the the head to head record, and Dinamo's record against Schalke is actually really good. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, five wins out of nine. Um, that's not bad at all. Yeah. No. So, uh, <laughs> my second is. Obviously, this season has been marked by the pandemic, and mm-hmm. it's impossible to escape any like conversation about the twenty twenty and twenty twenty one season as uh, without addressing it. Um, so we spoke about it, I think, on the podcast, like that the Devil's Prada was dropping their zombie EP two, um, yeah. 
And so they did, they did drop it a couple of weeks ago. And so I've chosen the song, the, the closing track off of that, that EP called contagion. Um, and you'll like, if you listen to it, like you'll see why, but it's, it's legitimately like it's written about a zombie outbreak, but it's really, I mean, it's about COVID. Like if we're being honest, <laughs> like it's just, it's literally like the same way. Like bring me the horizons EP was like about COVID. And they're like, we swore we wrote this before. Yeah. The pandemic. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> this one was written like fully in the context of COVID. Um, and I think yeah. they were trying to draw the parallels um, of just like, you know, a, a worldwide, like, pandemic uh literally but anyways um it just this ep like very much has like the devil is prada just being like super heavy like for fun Mm -hmm. um and this song in particular just has like a lot of like cool heavy moments and i just really enjoy it um the whole ep is worth listening to um it's just four, four really good songs um but uh but yeah, Contagion's the closer, so it's it's suitably epic uh, to close out that EP, but also the Sounds of the Season playlist for, for season one, um, yep. which you guys can find on Spotify and follow. I know a, a handful of you do, and, uh, and we appreciate that because I think it's just a cool little thing, but we'll be, I think, dividing up, so it'll be like a new playlist for, for season two. Yes. So you'll be able to like go back and see like, oh, what was the vibe of season one? Like, there Everything. we go. And then season two, <laughs> like, could have a totally different vibe. Um, yeah. So anyways, that that'll close out the season one edition of, of Sounds of the Season. And you guys can follow that on Spotify just by searching Sounds of the Season or Hardcore Football um, and, and clicking the follow button. So um sure. With that so we being, end, we end on about seven hours of music. Damn! And how many tracks? One hundred and twenty-three songs. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. It is the uh, and that that does bring us to the end of this episode as well. The end of season one of Hardcore Football. Um, hope you have enjoyed, and you can find us on all the major podcast platforms as i said at the top of the show and you can find us on twitter at hxc football um follow us there for all the banter all the all the matches and we will be talking we will be back you know very soon we'll be talking the summer tournaments we'll be talking all of all of that um to keep up with things headed into the next season of of the domestic league it doesn't stop and it won't stop and we'll keep going um, <laughs> stop won't stop no but until next time guys uh hope you hope you're all uh i don't know getting a little bit back to normal maybe um if you're in an area where vaccines are available um and hopefully you're able to to get out a little bit and uh hopefully we'll see every everybody back at matches uh here in the near future so until then later peace